Yes, we can say one more Hail Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed the fruit of thy Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners. Now be our widow. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by lay the Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. O Lady Fatima, St. Joseph, Father Bonalenteri, St. Uh, Peter Chanel, all God's angels and saints. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. So, good evening to all of you. So, we're going to be doing the spiritual exercises program. Uh, how many of you have already done the exercises program uh, with me? Okay, how many people are new they've never done the exercises? It's okay, probably about 50-50. All right. Those who have done the exercises program with me, uh, you went through uh, a 10-week program. Okay, this is going to be a flash program. It's just going to be four weeks, so it goes by very quickly. But I believe... Uh, a lot of good things can happen if we're walking with Jesus and Mary and St. Joseph. So, in a relatively short time, a lot can be done. And it depends on a dynamic. The dynamic is God's grace and our collaboration with God's grace. So, God's grace is always more than sufficient but our collaboration is sometimes weak and St. Ignatius uses a really big word it's called magnanimity so if you've done the exercise with me you've probably heard that word before magnanimity which is a compound Greek word magna anima magna means great anima means soul in English, common English, that would be generosity. So the more generous we are with God, then the more graces he's going to give to us. All right, I'll, I'll explain our protocol or our method. And then this is going to be a little bit different than we've had in the past uh, because of the experience that it had actually last night. Last night I had a big group of teenagers and I'm giving them the spiritual exercises too. And actually I'm giving them the same writings that I'm giving to you. And it's not to be pejorative or looked down upon you, but I think uh, these exercises as well as the commentaries can hit all of us. All right, our, our method or protocol is try to imagine a tripod. I've got a tripod in front of me. For the three feet. The, the first is 
we'll start at 7 o'clock by praying the rosary because uh, the more we invite Mary to be with us, the more abundant the blessings. I, as an oblate of the Virgin Mary, I never start anything without inviting Mary to be with me and the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, I'll fall flat on my face. But if I invite Mary and the Holy Spirit, you're going to see the, the mountains move. No? Because God can work miracles. No? So we'll present to you a, uh, a lecture on the spiritual exercises, as is my custom. And then after the lecture, we'll do it tonight. We will divide into groups. And uh, the groups are relatively small groups, have groups of probably about 10. And you'll have a facilitator and um, you'll get to know your group leader and your place. And the next week, the purpose of the groups will be the facilitator will help all of you to share to share uh, one of the fruits of your meditation for the other members of the group. And that's a very important part of the program. And I'll tell you one of the reasons why is because the ideal would be if I could talk with every one of you, I could talk with every one of you a half hour every every week to see how are the meditations going. But you know, how am I going to do it with two two hundred young people today? We're 150. Now I simply I'd have to biolocate you know 500 times to be able to do that. You know. So the way in which we've set up the opening up and sharing in the spiritual direction is you go to a group and you have a well-trained facilitator and many of them are actually spiritual directors and they will help all of you to share uh, for a minute or two on what God said to you in one of your meditations. Now, some of you who, who are new, you might feel a little bit uh, timid or embarrassed. Uh, timidity is a, it's a character defect. Okay? It's a character defect and it's related to pride. So we want to overcome the pride that we have within us. And it might be that, oh, well, I, don't, I won't be able to express myself well. Okay, well... English is not my first language, and a million different uh, rationalizations. We're not here to judge you. And, and anyone who speaks a broken English, I'm not going to get angry at you. Okay? I had to struggle with Italian and the Spanish, so I understand more than anyone else. No, uh, Or if you feel that your, your meditation is not going to be on par with Teresa of Avila and Catherine of Siena uh, and John of the Cross... None of us are going to arrive at those mystical states overnight. You know, maybe, maybe in time, God willing. Okay? And then, the most important part of this program is the time you spend alone with God. Okay? For example, last, last week, like the first week in, in a couple of years, I had one week, I had no apostolic activities. Guess what I did? 
I basically hid myself in the rectory there and I, I meditated five hours a day in front of the Blessed Sacrament. Okay? And I said my Mass, my Rosary, and I spent five hours every day in front of the Blessed Sacrament and it was not enough. I, I wish I had more time. No? Because I had free time, what better way to spend my time than spend the time with the Lord? Okay? Recharging my spiritual batteries. I dozed off a little bit because I entered. I was tired after all the work for three, almost three years, almost nonstop. I wanted, so I dozed off a little bit. I have to admit, but hopefully the Lord will forgive me. No, uh, as the, as a child falls asleep in his mother's arms, right? As the as the psalmist says, right? <laughs> all right. So your. Um, your, 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 the most important part of this, uh, this program is the time that you are going to be spending with God in prayer. And we call that the holy hour. Uh, not the happy hour, okay? Well, it can be a happy holy hour, right? Okay. It's called the holy hour. In which you want to spend and try to spend an hour with the Lord. The young people yesterday said as much time as you want. Okay, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. You want to spend half an hour, you want to spend a full hour, so much the better. The young people, the teenagers, I'm, I'm not placing that limit. But you adults, I'm raising the bar. I want you to try to give an hour. Okay, okay I want you to try to give an hour. We're going to give you the biblical passage. We'll give you a commentary. And... Uh, Try to be generous and, and give the Lord that hour. They think once you do that, once you do that, you'll start to fall in love with that holy hour. First thing I do every morning, 5.15, consecrate myself to Mary, kiss my scapular, okay, I go into the chapel, get a little bit of coffee, and uh, 5.20 to about... Uh, quarter to seven, I give about an hour and a half every day in front of the Blessed Sacrament. So I'm giving an hour and a half and I'm, I'm aiming at two hours. That's why when I arrive at every day when I start off with two hours because an hour is too short for me. An hour and a half, okay, I'm there, but I feel I want to give more to God because I have a hunger for God. I have a hunger for God. Now, uh, related to this hunger for God, as a, as a teacher, teaching for more than 50 years, I started to teach when I was 14, confirmation, uh, I can teach all of you how to pray. If you just give me one word, vocal prayer, mental prayer, contemplative prayer, I'll let you divine, you got an hour talk with Father Bill with any, without any notes. No? So I can, I can teach you how to pray. Almost in the sleep, I can do it. I can but I can't give you the desire to pray. I can't give you that. Sorry. We have a New York expression. A New Yorkers, we speak this way. You can take the horse to the water, but you can't make the horse drink the water. We speak in New York. Or New Jersey. Huh? So, we can take the horse to the water, but we can't make the horse drink the water. So, I can, I can teach you how to pray. And I'm a non-stop speaker. I mean, I can go on and on and on. So I can teach you how to pray, but I can't give you the desire to pray. 
You have to beg the Holy Spirit for that. On a personal level, uh, I would say, in, of the many graces that God has given to me, I know God's given me many graces. God's given you a lot of graces, but you probably haven't discovered them because you haven't prayed enough. Okay? I'm becoming more and more aware as I get older how many graces God has given to me. I'm blown away. And as I get older. And one is, uh, it is, once I tell you this grace, you're going to be probably surprised. When I was 14, 14 15, I lived in New Jersey. And I had to walk uh, two miles to school, high school. And it took about 45 minutes. Uh, I prayed three rosaries on my fingers. How many teenagers pray three, ro- three rosaries a day? Most of them won't even pray a decade, right? And it came so natural to me, I did it even without thinking. Then I was cutting the grass. I could pray the rosary when I'm cutting the grass. We have a New York expression, you can chew, walk and chew gum at the same time. Okay. So, Praying for me was a huge gift. It became almost something natural to me. So, for me, teaching people to pray, praying, writing books on prayer, is it's one of the greatest gifts that God has given to me. Uh, perhaps some of you have that gift, but you haven't discovered it yet. Now's the time. Now's the time. Maybe you have this latent treasure within you. Now's the time. Okay, so this is our program. The talk, the sharing groups, and then the most important part would be your holy hour, not happy hour. Okay? Okay? The hour that you want to give. And I would suggest do it as early as possible. Okay, do it early because if you put it off, what's going to happen? You put it off because of your busy schedule. You're probably not going to do that well. You're going to do it poorly. You're going to have interruptions and you're going to skip a day. What you have to do is, uh, for me, 5.15. 5.15, 5, 5.20. It takes me five minutes to get ready. Okay, 5.20, there we am with the Lord. And whether, whether or not I feel happy or I'm tired or not, doesn't matter. I've decided... By saying, Lord, I'm going to give you an hour and a half, I'm saying, Lord, I love you. By, by my saying, I'm going to give the Lord an hour and a half, that's my, that's my way of saying, I love God. If you love a person, you want to give that person time. The, the, the big businessmen say, time is money. I would say, I would say better this. Time is love. You give God time, you say, God, I love you. Okay? You hear me? So pe- people, that say, people that say, I don't have time to pray, you don't love God. <gasps> Father, you offended me. I don't care. I don't care. You don't love God. Put your money where your mouth is, pal. If you love God, you're going to give God time. If you, if you love your husband, your wife, or your kids... If you love your, your husband, your wife, your kid, you're going to give them time. Well, I don't have time for my husband and my kids. What type of mother are you? Well, I like to tell the novellas. That's your God then, okay? So, 
If we, we really want to show to God, God that we love God, we want to give God time. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different today, uh, thanks to the help of Elvira who put this together. I'm going to be showing you uh, a I'm going to be showing you uh, a PowerPoint, and what I'm going to do is this: the PowerPoint is going to be on the Bible. Okay? So because I don't I don't know all of you, and I don't know your 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 biblical biblical literacy or your lack of biblical literacy. So if some of these things uh, you already know, I apologize. Uh, but a few things you're going to learn. Okay? Uh, I did this yesterday with the young people and it was a huge success. Then we're going to be giving a, bib, a Bible trivia. I, it's kind of like a game and I think you're really going to like it and I'll try to go through it as quickly as possible. Okay? Can we do that? Yes. Then we'll, uh, we'll give you the, the card, the Bible trivia and then after, after that uh, we'll go off to our groups and you'll, you'll be able to get to know. Uh, okay, maybe give that afterwards? Yeah. We'll give you the Bible card afterwards. Right now we're going to be going through um, the Bible. So this is it's just a, a general talk on the Bible, what I gave to your sister yesterday. General talk on the Bible. Okay. And um, okay, many things you know, but there can be some things, hey, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. So the more we get to know the Bible, this is going to help you to do the exercises better because the essence of the exercise of the Bible. So I'm going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to be giving you a biblical passage and a commentary on it. Okay? So, so the exercises, they're biblical. So the more we really get to know the Bible, this is going to facilitate our prayer experience. Okay, good. So here we have welcome... That's St. Ignatius of Loyola. Welcome, get to know Jesus, your best friend. And by the way, that's one of the purposes of these exercises. We want Jesus to be our best friend. I told that to the teenagers last night. I tell it to you. Today I talked to my spiritual director. And I told him I made my retreat. My spiritual director asked me, well... Father Ed, what did you get out of the spiritual exercise? I said, what I've been going through with you the past 10 years. What's that? Trying to go deeper in my friendship with Jesus Christ. I've been working on that for 10 years. No? So you asked me, who is Jesus for me? I could give you a lot of Christological titles. I, I'm a theologian. So I could give you a lot of Christological titles. But for me right now, Jesus Christ is my best friend. And I've been with that the past 10 years. There are other titles too. But I, I love the idea of Jesus Christ as my best friend. And one of the reasons why is I'm older than most of you people. When I was a child, there was a day in, in which we had a lot of good friends. Nowadays your kids, sad to say, they don't have friends. Many of them don't have friends, which is sad, no? Now different than you people... Different than you people, I didn't like to go to school. You, know, you people love, you, you were sad on Friday because you couldn't have school on Saturday and Sunday. You were longing for the, for the Monday alarm clock to go off, right? No? Uh, I saw school as a necessary penance, no? I got, no, I got good grades, but I didn't like to go, no? Nor did my brother, the, the orthopedic surgeon in Orlando, we didn't like to go. We did well, no? 
but I love to be with my friends. I love to be with my friends once I got once I got home. So I connect a really good rapport with friends with Jesus Christ, my best friend. Amen? Amen. So we want Jesus Christ to be our best friend. Okay, so right now, um, the, the, the books of the Bible, even before getting into the books, let me just say this. The authorship of the Bible is good to understand two different, two different uh, dimensions of the authorship. Okay, the, the author of the Bible is the Holy Spirit. So every one of the books in the Bible, they are inspired by the Holy Spirit. However, the Holy Spirit uses what is called human instrumentality. It's like this. When I write, okay, the pen is writing, okay, right? Yes. But I'm the one that does the writing. So as Aristotle and Aquinas say, oh, you have, you have the instrumental cause. The instrumental cause would be the pen. The efficacious cause would be the person. A little bit of Aristotelian philosophy for you, okay? So the author is God, but God uses the human instrument. And each one of the authors have a different personality. So you're going to notice different literary styles. Okay, different literary styles. And to get to know the Bible, the Bible has what is called literary genre, literary forms. Okay? You've got narratives. But you know the, did you know that the Bible has poetry too? Did you know that? Okay, the Psalms. And I call the Shakespeare of the Old Testament, no-brainer. It's Isaiah. Have you ever read Isaiah? Wow. How beautiful. You know, the richness of vocabulary, the metaphors, the similes, the allegories, the symbolism, the alliteration. Wow. Having a degree in English literature, I just love Isaiah because... So, so rich the way he expresses himself, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So you have, God is the, God is the author, but he utilizes the human instrument. Got that? All right. So, um, okay, maybe I'll say one other thing on here is this. What about the language? Uh, the, the original language of the Bible is not Spanish or English or French or Tagalog. Okay, okay right. Aramaic and Greek. Okay? So Aramaic and Greek. Aramaic, the language of Jesus, as well as, the, as, well as Greek. And then from there, a, a great Bible scholar, Jerome, St. Jerome, translated it from the Aramaic and Greek into the Latin. And that's called the Vulgate. And then after the Latin, it was translated into the Latin languages, which would be Spanish, okay, Italian, all right, Portuguese, Romanian, and then the Germanic languages, which would be English and German. Okay? So we're, we're reading a translation of the Bible. 
So really to get to the essence, it would be Greek and Aramaic. Not that you have to have a doctorate in Greek or Aramaic, okay? We can get by in English, okay? All right, so it's important that you know the whole idea of biblical languages too. Later on I can tell you the best translations, I believe, in English, but probably the translation you have is sufficient. The one that the Hispanics have is a terrible translation that all the Mexicans have here in, in, in L.A., but uh, we'll talk about that another day. But let's, uh, okay, here we, here we have, okay, the books of the Bible. Um, the books of the Bible. Have it a little bit. Okay, here we have it. So let's start with the Old Testament. I'm sure all of you know that the Bible can be divided into the into the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay. So the Old Testament and the New Testament would be the the biggest division of the of the Bible. Um, okay. Probably should say this now that the. The Protestant, the, the Bible is the most is the most famous book in the world. Jews have a Bible. Okay, Protestants have a Bible. The Orthodox have a Bible. The Jehovah Witnesses have a Bible. Okay. So it's the most it's the most famous book in the world is the Bible. Okay, our Catholic Bible has seventy three books. Got that? 73 books. Now when I say the word book, it's not going to be maybe a, a, a book by Shakespeare or by James Joyce or, or Ernest Hemingway that's going to have 200 or 300 pages. Some of the books are just four or five chapters. But they're called books. They're called books. So we as Catholics, we have 73 books. The Protestants have about 66. Okay? You hear that? Yes. You're going to say, well, where did that come from, Father? Okay, we go back 500 years ago. Knowing a little bit of history is helpful. It's called the Protestant Reformation, which started where? It started in England with Henry VIII, then it moves from England to Germany. And in Germany, it was an Augustinian priest whose name is Martin Luther. Not Martin Luther King. Okay? But Martin Luther was actually an Augustinian priest. And then from there to Switzerland, another priest, his name is John Calvin. Maybe you heard the Calvinists. So they... Calvin and Luther. Luther was an intelligent man, but he was he, he was scatterbrained, so to speak. Was Calvin was very organized, like like the Germans, very very systematic, methodical, and organized. So they they discarded uh, some of the books of the Bible. Then the Church intervenes with what is called the Council of Trent. Maybe you've heard of that. Hmm? The Council of Trent which was a southern city in Italy where the Pope called together uh, theologians and bishops and priests and took several sessions. And they finally arrived what is called the Canon of the Bible. And the Canon of the Bible 
would be the Catholic Bible has 73 books. We have what are called the deuterocanonical books. For example, we have Maccabees 1, Maccabees 2, we've got Judith, we've got Esther. Those are books that the Protestants don't have. Okay? So they've got 66. I would probably wager some of you probably have a Protestant Bible in your home. Maybe it was a wedding gift that was given to you that someone doesn't know the Bible that well. And the way that you're going to know is if you have the imprimatur. If you look at the very beginning, see the word imprimatur, that's Latin, which means you can press. You're going to see a circle, and next to that you'll see a bishop. In the New American Bible, you have Pope Paul VI, who happened to be the, the Bishop of Rome, okay? So that's, that's how you can know that you have a Catholic Bible, the imprimatur, and you have a bishop that approved of that, that edition. Okay? You following me? Okay, so let's move on to the canon of the Bible. Quickly, I'm going to be going through the different parts of the Bible. And every, every word of the Bible is important because it's the word of God. Okay? Okay. Every, word of the God, the, uh, every word in the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay, here we have it. Let's go into the Old Testament now. We start with the Pentateuch. See that? The Pentateuch consists of five, five books. Okay, the word Pentateuch, penta means five in Greek. So that means the first five books of the Bible are the Pentateuch. If you ever talk to a Jewish person, they call it the Torah. Okay? Here. If you ever met uh, where I am, I'm in, uh, a New Yorker, I, half of my friends were Irish, Italian, Catholics, the others were Jews. A lot, at least when I was living in New York, a lot of Jewish people there. No? Um, so that's the first five books of the Bible. And it comes from God, but the author is Moses. Moses. So Moses is, he's the one that's attributed to be the author, human author, of the first five books. And they are the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. First five books of the Bible. Well, we'll move on to the next session, the historical introduction, historical books. Now, in the history of, of, um, of Israel, they arrived at a point that they were influenced by the surrounding nations. They said, we want a king. God said to the prophets, you should not have a king. You know what they said? We want a king. God said, you really shouldn't have a king. You know what they said? We want a king anyway. <laughs> then God spoke about all the bad things that we're going to have if they had a king. You know what they said? We still want a king. So, what you're going to be seeing in these books 
in Joshua, Judges, Ruth 1, Samuel, 2 Samuel, Kings 1, Kings 2, the, uh, you're going to see the history of a lot of the kings you had for Israel. And the most famous would be David and his son uh, Solomon. Those are the two most famous. Uh, the others, most of them, they failed. And the reason being is because God said, I don't want you to the king because I want you. To, I want to be your king. That's the reason why. That's the reason why. That's the reason why. So, they had a human king and the kings failed. Even, even David was the greatest. David committed adultery, right? He committed murder. Solomon was the wisest man on the face of the earth. But he ends, up as a, he ends up the biggest fool on the face of the earth because of one weakness, lust or lucuria. Yeah, one thing. He was the wisest man in the world. But he had a weak point, and that's called lust, a disordered sexual desire that he gave in to foreign gods and foreign women. He ends up by being the big, I call him the biggest fool because he gave himself to his lust and he put lust above God. So all the kings that they have are going to have not only foibles, but, but egregious moral errors that characterize them. Okay, so those are the historical books. Then, biblical novellas. Novella, that means stories, right? And these are, these are, these are charming. One of, my, one of my favorites is the book of Tobit. This is this will probably not be part of our program, but I ever have time to read the book of Tobit. It's just charming. Then Judith and Esther and their symbols are the Blessed Virgin Mary. Okay, these queens they represent Mary, who's our queen. Then you got one and two Maccabees. You're going to see Judas Maccabees, possibly the most valiant soldier in the whole Bible. And then two Maccabees. We're going to have a reference to purgatory. The Protestants don't have that. And we have that. Yeah, the key passage of purgatory we find in 2 Maccabees. Okay, so those are the... Okay, below that we have wisdom books. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, Wisdom, Sirach. They're wisdom books. Perhaps the most famous would be the book of Psalms. Okay, the Psalms. I've given a course during the pandemic on the book of Psalms, a four-week course. If you want to learn how to pray, by praying the Psalms is one of the easiest ways to learn how to pray. And we as priests, once we... Once we uh, become deacons, we make two promises. You know what they are? Celibacy, not to get married, and to pray the liturgy of the hours. Those are the two promises that we, we make uh, as deacons. Celibacy, we're not going to get married. We're married to the church. And then to pray the liturgy of the hours. Do any of you pray the liturgy of the hours? Any of you? Okay, pretty good. The liturgy hours are actually five different times of day that you pray. Morning prayer, midday prayer, 
evening prayer, night prayer, then you have the office of readings. So this, the liturgy of the, the hours, 75% are basically the songs. All right. Then we have the prophetic books. It's not divided here, but you have, it's divided into what are called the major prophets and the minor prophets. The major prophets are four. They would be, the most famous would be Isaiah. Okay, then we have Jeremiah. Then we have Ezekiel. And then we have Daniel. Those are called the four major prophets. You know why? Because they're longer than the others. That's the only reason why. Isaiah's got more than 60 chapters. and They're longer. They're the longest. Others, they're still prophets, but they're shorter. For example, some of these, maybe, maybe because you haven't read the whole Bible, maybe you've never heard some of these. Let's just go through them. So you've heard of Isaiah, I'm sure, right? Jeremiah. Okay, Lamentations, maybe not. Maybe you've never heard of Baruch. Ezekiel, there's a major. Daniel, there's a major. Hosea. Joel is a prophet. Amos, maybe, oh, who's this guy? Obadiah. Never heard that, huh? Well, he's a prophet. How about Jonah? You've heard of him, right? Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. Those are all the prophetic books of the Old Testament. All right. The Old Testament leads us up to Jesus Christ. Okay? So the Old Testament, it leads us up to Jesus Christ and it converges on the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Okay, now the Old Testament has 46 books for the Catholics. 46 books. Whereas for the Protestants, they, they've, they've omitted the, what are called the deuterocanonical Deuter- book, books. So the New Testament for the Protestants and Catholics is the same, but the Old Testament, we have more books. Okay, so let's move from the Old Testament into the New Testament. Here's the New Testament. If you look at that, 46, see how, how less books you have in the New Testament. All right. Now, the Catechism of the Catholic Church says that the very heart, the very heart and center of the Bible are the Gospels. Okay? So, it's almost like a great crescendo in music, okay? In the symphony. The very heart of the Bible are the Gospels. Therefore, people come up to me and say, Father, I want to read the whole Bible. Should I start with the Old Testament? No. Where should I start? The Gospels. Then after the Gospels, the Gospels. Then after the Gospels, the Gospels. Read the Gospels three times. The Gospels are so important, you want to get to know the Gospels, which is the life of Jesus Christ. Alright? So the Gospels are the very heart of the Bible. Now the word Gospel, in Spanish, Evangelio, it means the good news. That's what it means in Greek, the good news. Okay, the Gospels are are four. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
Okay, a liturgical note. Okay, when you go to Mass on Sunday, did any of you go to Mass on Sunday? Do you remember what the Gospel was? Short-term memory, huh? Okay, it was Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 32, in which... Jesus, after he rejoices in the Spirit and praises God the Father for revealing these secrets to the little ones, then the very gem of Matthew is this. Come to me, all of you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for you will find rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is like, don't you love that? I, I can just see your console just by hearing that. That's the, that's the gospel you had on Sunday. Now Sunday you have three readings, but Sunday you have three different cycles. You have cycle A, B, and C. Cycle A, we read Matthew. Cycle B, we read Mark. Cycle C, we read Luke. So, you have every church year, you're going to have a different cycle. So, by Advent, this coming year, we're going to be going from Matthew to Mark. In the following year, year C, you go from Mark to Luke. There you have it. Okay, so... That's a little bit of liturgical reference to the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, we did this with the young people uh, yesterday. I've been teaching uh, confirmation in the parish uh, for about 30 years. So what's happening now is the students that I have now, I taught their mothers. Very interesting, no? So the mothers of these kids, I had them 20 years ago. No? And uh, I, I, I like to teach confirmation with, with I, I like working with the teenagers. So I gave them a Bible. And I said, okay. And they pulled out, Father Larry, Father Larry gave me $20. Because I have a lot of poverty. Okay? And uh, I said, whoever can find in your Bible... Mark chapter 17, verse 17, then I will give $20. So they opened up their Bible. They never had opened up a Bible before. They're going to Genesis and Chronicles, and they still hadn't gotten it. Ah, here, here's the New Testament. Matthew, ah, there's, there's Mark. Okay, hey, there's Mark. I'm going to get the 20 bucks, 20 bucks, 20 bucks. So they arrived 5, 10. 16, and then they moved from Mark 16 into Luke 1. There was no Mark chapter 17. <laughs> I proved the reality of Catholic, Catholic biblical illiteracy. No? Okay, so let me teach you this today. And if any of you have kids that were with me yesterday, ask them, how many chapters in each one of the Gospels? We're going to learn that tonight. Your little sister learned yesterday. So Matthew has 
28. Mar has 16. I told you, right? Luke has 24. And John has 21. I think that's worthy of memorizing. I've had that memorized for many years, and it's just a matter of memorizing those four numbers. No? So if I try to play that trick on you, you're not going to fall in the trap, huh? <laughs> Matthew 28, Mark 16, Luke 24, and John 21. So altogether, if you're to read a chapter a day starting with Matthew, in three months you will have read all the Gospels, chapter a day. Think about that. Every night before you go to bed, okay, you read a chapter. Within three months, you will have read. So, if you do, if you do that, if you do that, uh, four times in a year, you will have read the gospel four times. By then, you're becoming you're becoming familiar with who Jesus Christ is because he's the very center of the gospel. All right, let's move on. After the Gospels, you have the Acts of the Apostles right here. The Acts of the Apostles, according to classical Catholic interpretation, the author of the Acts of the Apostles is, you see it? St. Luke. So if you're reading the Gospel of Luke and right away you move in the Acts of the Apostles, it's just like an extension. And the Acts of the Apostles will be the early church. What happened in the early church? The key apostles that you meet are St. Peter. You're going to meet the first few chapters. Then he's going to disappear because who comes on the scene is Saul of Tarsus. So after Saul of Tarsus is converted on the road to Damascus, he's going to be the predominant figure for two-thirds of the Acts of the Apostles. And you go through what it calls five missionary journeys, St. Paul. Then it, he actually ends up, it ends up in Rome, where he's in a prison there in Rome waiting to be decapitated. Maybe some of you saw the movie St. Paul with Jim Caviezel. Okay. okay. Then, speaking about St. Paul, here we have, here we have the, the New Testament letters. So the most, proli- the most prolific writer in the Bible is St. Paul. He's the mo- most prolific writer by far. So, these letters he wrote uh, to the Romans, two to the Corinthians, Galatians, this would be to the church in Ireland, my friends, the Ephesians, the letter to the Filipinos. (laughs) Did I mispronounce that? Okay. Fulton Sheen said a lady got up and said a letter of St. Paul to the Filipinos. Another one said a letter of St. Paul to the theologians. Huh? 
Spanish, I had this lady got up and said, instead of saying, limosna, she said, limosina. <laughs> no, a little bit of Spanish, huh? <laughs> Every time I, I'm listening to them, they read in the wedding, I'm, I'm cringing, what are they going to say next? No. <laughs> So here we have them. Romans, Corinthians 1 and 2, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 2 to the Thessalonians, 1 and 2, Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. And uh, then you have the Catholic letters. Do any of you know what the word Catholic means from Greek? Very good. It's universal. So these ones were written to individual communities in Corinth, in Galatia, in Ephesus. These are considered letters written to the whole world. And you have James, uh, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. Did you, did you all know that St. John the Evangelist wrote three little letters? Learn something new today, huh? So St. John the Evangelist wrote the Gospel, but he wrote these three short, beautiful letters. Very short. You could, read, you could read the three of them in a half an hour. And then probably a lot of you didn't know that Jude actually wrote a letter. Not Judas Iscariot, okay? This would be Jude, also known as Thaddeus. He wrote a letter, and it's the, I think it's the only letter that doesn't have chapter and verse. It just has verse. It has about nine verses. So it's very, very short. And then you have the last book of the Bible called Revelation. Did you ever hear the book of the Apocalypse? Have you heard that? Did you know the book of the Apocalypse is the book of Revelation? The difference would be, are you listening? Juan, John, Giovanni, Jean. So I spoke four languages there. Four different ways of expressing a name. Spanish, Juan. In Italiano, Giovanni. Parlez-vous français, Jean. In American English, John. <laughs> so, it's the same name. So, Revelation would be the Latin. Apocalypse would be the Greek. How about that? So, Revelation and Apocalypse. This is probably the most difficult letter to interpret in the New Testament. Okay? Very beautiful letter, but it's, uh, it's actually a letter that encapsulates past, present, and future. Because it was written 2,000 years ago. We're reading it now, but it's making prophecy about the future. So some of the futuristic events have been prophesied in the book of Revelation, they haven't happened yet. So it takes a lot of discernment to be able to read and understand it. Okay, so that would be the canon of the Bible. And uh, I guess now we can actually... Okay, we're going to give out uh, a card right now. And we're going to do a little bit of uh, Bible trivia and then we'll be able to break up into groups. I think you're going to find this a lot of, a lot of fun. And... Uh, you know what you might even do is uh, with your family, with your family, with your kids, 
with your brothers and your sisters, you might bring this card and ask the questions. Maybe a really good family conversation. Maybe ask your husband. Maybe ask your mother. Ask your sister. Ask a friend. In a certain way, this is a good way to evangelize. Yeah, it's a good way. We're called to evangelize. What do you think? Beautiful card, isn't it? Thank you, Alvira. So, uh, after you get the card, do all of you have a pen or pencil? If not, uh, our helpers here can give you a, a pencil. It's, uh, and many of these responses are very quick, just one or two words. But you can't write it with your fingernail unless your fingernail has graphite. I don't know. <laughs> all right. Uh, so just ra- raise your hand. And uh, I guess a few people don't have the card yet. I have a question. Okay, yes. I have a Catholic Bible that has the second book of Ezra. And I got it at St. Mary's Subject Church. Okay, there are some older translations that have different names for for the books, yeah. So maybe, maybe bring it to me, maybe I can see it next week. Okay. But, okay, bring it maybe next week. All right, so let's start because of lack of time. So we've basically gone through these, and you can just fill them in. Anyone still short of a pencil or a, um, or a card? Okay, so let's go for it. We'll go through it quickly. And this can be part of your family conversation, right, with your kids at the mealtime next dinner, huh? What do you think? Okay, how many books are in the Catholic Bible? Okay, 73. How many books are there in the Old Testament? You remember? 46. So you got good memories. Good. How many books are there in the New Testament? 27. So you might put below, put 73 in total. Okay. So we got 46, 27. 73 books in total in the Catholic Bible. Okay, how many how many gospels are there? Okay. Then write down gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You probably know this, but usually you do the initials, you put MT, then MK, LK and JN, okay? All right. Uh, what does the word gospel mean? Good news. Very good. Good news. Evangelio in Spanish. Okay, here we go. How many chapters in the Gospel of Matthew? Twenty-eight. Wow, great memory. Twenty-eight. All right, moving. How many? Okay, I did this in my confirmation kids. You're not going to fall into the trap, are you? Okay, how many chapters in Mark? You got it. You're not going to fall into my trap, are you? No. How about Luke? 24. And how about in the Gospel of St. John? You got it. Okay, I didn't mention this yet. What are the synoptic Gospels? 
Okay, we've got someone there that knows. What are the synoptic gospels? Uh, how about an order, Susanna? You didn't have them in the right order. Giselle? Okay, good. Yeah, it's good to have them in... Yeah, I'm glad your, your daughter corrected you. That's good. <laughs> That's good for humility, right? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Third degree of humility. Thank you, Giselle. Okay. So it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And synoptic because of the sameness. You're going to have the same... More or less the same themes. Where St. John is... St. John is written much later to the early Christian community... And the themes in St. John are very different. Okay? He's directed to the early Christians. Matthew to the Jewish converts. Mark uh, basically to the Roman converts. Uh, Luke to the, to the Greeks. Whereas John is writing to the early Christians around the year 100. St. John is going to live, he'll die when he's in his hundreds, St. John the Evangelist. He's the only one that wasn't martyred, St. John the Evangelist. Okay, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. Let's move on. What? Okay, who was the most prolific writer uh, of the New Testament? I mentioned that. Saint Paul. Okay, Saint Paul. How many books of the Bible did Paul write? Fourteen. And. Uh, uh, what? Okay, didn't mention this. What? What is the? You ever hear the word an epistle? Well done, Olga. Okay, so epistle, epistle means a letter. So you say something here. The epistle of Saint Paul, usually the letter, but epistle means also the letter. The epistolary apostolate. Okay, the the apostolate of writing letters. No. All right. So there we have that. This, uh, this I found to be very interesting with the young people yesterday. Where, okay, where is the Passion account in the Gospels? All the four Gospels, the Passion, that means the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. We're going to learn that today. And the, the, okay, the way I'm going to teach it, I try to learn things through, through mnemonic devices, certain hooks, that, intellectual hooks, that makes it easier for me to memorize. Okay, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Okay, first of all, you have to know how many chapters they are. Then Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Are you listening? Okay, the last chapter would be the chapter of the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, the resurrection accounts. Then the two chapters before that would be the Passion account. Got it? Yes. Okay, now in John, okay, John, it's 2 2. 2 2. The last two would be the resurrection accounts, and the two before that would be the Passion account. Got it? Got it. Now this is a little trivial, but I, I find it to be very helpful to know this. So you want to find out, well, where did Jesus suffer in these Gospels? You're kind of floundering in no man's land, wasting time. Oh, I remember what Father Broom said. Okay, let's go for it. Now. So let's do it. Matthew. Okay, Matthew has how many chapters? Okay, so what, what, do, you have, what do you have in Matthew chapter 28? Okay, so what are the passion accounts in Matthew? Oh, so, so put Matthew 26 and 27. 
They're long chapters. And if you really want to go deep, read one and see the difference. There's a little nuance. Okay, There's a nuance, a difference in each one of them. Because they're, they're different human authors and have different styles and different inspirations. Okay, Matt, Mark has 17 chapters? 16. 16. <laughs> well, you too, I, I can't pull a fast one on you, can I? No? You're too sharp. Okay, so Mark has 16. The last chapter would be the resurrection. How about the Passion account? You got it? You got it? 14, 15. Let's jump into Luke. Luke has how many chapters? 24. Okay, Luke 24 is the resurrection account. And the Passion accounts? You got it. Okay, let's jump to John. John has how many chapters? Okay. Now remember 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two. Two, two. The last two would be the resurrection and then the... Okay, so it would be? So 18 and 19, you have the passion account. Look, you, in five minutes you learn what I consider to be very important. That is called the Paschal Mystery. That's the most important part of the whole Bible. You've learned right now the most important part of the whole Bible in the four Gospels. If you talk to a Protestant, you say that, he's going to be impressed. Yeah. <laughs> you talk to a Jehovah Witness, a Jehovah Witness, you say, wow, you're going to blow him out of the water. Some Catholics that know the Bible. <laughs> All right. Okay, right now, let, let, let's go through what is a miracle. Jesus did miracles. Why? He said to the Pharisees, if you don't believe my words, believe in my works. He says that in John chapter 8. So a miracle that Jesus did to prove that he was also God. Only God can work miracles. Miracles you can... Miracles of Jesus, I, in my studies, I divide them into two parts. Miracles over nature and miracles, miracles of healing. That's the way I divide it. Miracles over nature, there, there are few. But miracles of healing, there, there are a lot. So let's see if you can do that. Why don't you name, can you name, can you name three miracles over nature? Then we'll jump into the miracles of healing. Okay, the, the, the first I think we should put in John chapter 2 is the turning of the water into wine. Yes, and that would be John chapter 2, verse 1 to 12, right? All right. How about another one? Do any of you go to daily mass? Any, do you remember last week when the, when the only time that Jesus was asleep in the whole Bible? Was he in a hotel bed? Oh. He was in a, a married hotel? No. The only time that Jesus is found asleep in the Bible is in the, in the boat in the midst of a storm. How ironic. <laughs> Almost you want to laugh at that. Of all the times. But there's a lot behind that. So he gets up and he comes the storm. That's another one. How about, a, how, about, how about a third one? Remember when the people are sometimes hungry? What did Jesus do? So he multiplies the loaves and the fish. So those are miracles over nature. 
Okay, so natures of healing, there, there are many. Anyone like to, to volunteer? Okay, let, let, so we have another seven to go. Healing of the lepers, that'd be number four. Yes? Say, say it louder. Was it blind? Okay, the healing of a blind man. Well done, okay? So that's number five. Five more to go. Another one? The hemorrhage? Okay, the woman that had the hemorrhage. That was the gospel a couple of days ago. Healed the woman. And that's beautiful because she just touched the hem of his cloak and healed just like that because of her faith, right? All right. Uh, another one? Yes. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah, Malchus. Uh, Peter cut off the ear. He proved that he was, a, he was a better fisherman than a swordsman, right? Okay, cut off the ear of Malchus and Jesus put it back on. Okay, a couple more? Yes. Excuse me? Okay, he, you're saying well, he walked on the lake? Yeah, okay, that's, another, that's over and over. Okay, you can write that in. He, Jesus walked, on the, walked on, the, on the waters. Yes. Great. That was, that was actually the greatest of all the miracles of Jesus. Jesus actually raised people from the dead three times. Do any of you know the three different times that Jesus rose someone from the dead? She just mentioned uh, Lazarus chapter 11. There's a couple more. Okay, the daughter of Jairus, right? We had that also. The 12-year-old girl. Jesus goes and says, Talitha Kum, little girl, get up. And how about the other one is a little bit more hidden. It's found in the Gospel of St. Luke. St. Paul's mother-in-law. Uh, now, she wasn't dead. She had a fever. She healed the mother-in-law. And that's why, that's why uh, Peter denied Jesus three times, right? So, that's a floating machine joke, okay? <laughs> okay. This is a little bit more hidden. Okay, do you remember... There was a funeral procession of a widow that lost her son. And Jesus stopped the funeral procession and he takes the dead boy by the hand and he gets up. So those are the three times that Jesus actually, he probably did it more than that, but those are the three recorded ones in the, in the gospel. Okay, how many have you written down already? Is ten already? Okay, there are many more. Let's move on then. Next, can you name... Hey, did any of you go to Mass today? Hey, you went to Mass today? Wow, that's the Gospel today? Okay, so all of you have a photographic memory, but it hasn't been developed yet, right? Okay. We have the Twelve Apostles. There was one girl last night that named the Twelve Apostles. It's the first time that teenager was able to name the Twelve Apostles. I was kind of blown away, no? And she saved me because I was saying, I'm probably going to forget one and I'll put myself in, in shame, okay? But I'll try, I'll, I'll, let's see if I can do it. Okay, Peter? Andrew? James? John? Okay, let's say Matthew? Matthew? And then we got James the Less. So you got James the Less. Then you've got Philip, right? And you got Thomas. Right? Thomas, and you've got Jude that's mentioned Thaddeus. Then you got Simon the Canaanian, also known as Simon the Zealot. 
if you saw the uh, the documentary of uh, Jonathan Rumi, okay, Simon the Zealot, who was fighting against the Romans. And the last one would be, of course, Judas Iscariot. So there you have the twelve apostles. All right, um, there we have it. So I I guess we. Is there anything more? Okay, there are two more. Okay, who is the prince? Who is the prince of the apostles? So that would be Saint Peter, and he would be the first first uh, pope. And now there have been 266 popes since Saint Peter. Peter. Peter is the, yeah. Peter is the first. Yeah, Saint Peter. I was listening to Robert Barron the other day and he said Simon basically means unstable weak where Peter means rock. Very interesting. Voluble, uncertain. Simon before the coming of the Holy Spirit. Then Petra. Petra actually means rock. Solidity. And I think we all have the Simon and Peter within us, don't we? Moments of weakness and then we got moments of strength. All right, and... Which book of the Bible describes the early church? The Acts of the Apostles. Okay. Was this helpful? So good. A little bit of Bible trivia to help us to go deeper. So right, what we're going to do right now is say Hail Mary and then we're going to have, uh, we'll, we'll divide into our groups. So thank you very much and uh, uh, thank you, Elvira, for putting together this PowerPoint. Wasn't it well done? Thank you very much. Thank you. So let's say Hail Mary. I'll give you my priestly blessing. Then we'll be able to divide into the groups. And in your groups, you're going to be getting your you're going to be getting your handouts. Okay. So you're going to have a handout every day. You have the biblical passage. You'll have the commentary. And then afterward, you're supposed to after your meditation. Write down what God spoke to you. And then in your groups next week, you'll be sharing that. Okay? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners. Now at the hour of our death. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So be seated a minute for the division of the groups. Thank you, Loretta.